today was our first service back in the building and we did a FaceTime live and unfortunately uh, we had a lot of challenges this morning so I thought this afternoon I would go ahead and re-record the message for you. It won't be quite the same as it was this morning but uh, I thought I would share that with you. So uh, here's today's, this morning's message once again. You know, today was to be a celebration in our church. Uh, we reopen the doors to our church building for Sunday worship, and tomorrow morning our preschool will invite children back into the building for the first time in a long time. Our building was actually much fuller this morning than we expected, but not everyone was there, and that's okay. We believe that a gradual return to physically worshiping together is probably the wisest approach to take. But through technology, we can all be together. And I tell you, I speak on behalf of our church staff when I say that we are all thrilled. We've been waiting a long time for that first time back in the church building. And so this morning, we should have been shouting praise of joy to God. And, and actually we were, but I wanted to say also that my soul is troubled, um, my heart is weary, and like many in our nation and in our church, um, I'm mourning. See, on the positive side, we are winning the battle against the coronavirus. It's far from over, but the number of hospitalizations continues to drop or at least plateau. More and more people are being tested. Work on vaccines is making progress. Jobs are returning to the economy. And I'm more confident than ever that God will get us through it. And the fact is, we have faith, not fear. And so just, just when it seems that we have reason to celebrate, the George, the George Floyd incident happened. It was tragic. I'm confident justice will prevail. George was a flawed man. You may not hear it on the news, but he was far from perfect. But the truth is, so are we. Every single one of us is flawed. The bottom line is this, is that George Floyd didn't deserve to die. And that's a fact. The, the fact also applies to police officers killed in the line of duty. Already this year, 23 police officers, including one just in the last 24 hours, have been killed by gunfire. gunfire. And they too didn't deserve to die. The death of George Floyd has reopened the wounds of division in our country. There are cries of inequality. And there are things that we need to address as a nation. And so there are peaceful protests. And these peaceful protests are the right of every American citizen. For example, I am pro-life. Pro-life people hold marches. We protest the killing of the unborn. It's our right. Protests allow people to express what they believe. Sadly, though, some use peaceful marches as an excuse for violence. Uh, police officers protecting others and innocent bystanders have been wounded. Some are killed. Business owners have been unjustly targeted. People's means of livelihood were burned to the ground. Some communities are gripped by fear. The violence betrays the very cause it supposedly support. And fortunately, at least in our city, the level of violence seems to be on the decline. 
Through it all, though, we must resist the prejudice of labeling. We remember that the actions of a few, whether it be a few policemen or a group of rioters or looters, those actions don't reflect the attitude and actions of the majority. By and large, the police serve to protect. It's a terribly dangerous job. And the vast majority of our citizens, all of our citizens, are law-abiding, peaceful people. We have to fight this us-versus-them attitude. And there seems to be a lot of that going around. And so this morning, and so today, I'm mourning. Our na- nation is succumbing to this us-versus-them. It goes against our founding principles. We are, after all, the United States of America. Disunity happened even in the COVID-19 pandemic. In the first weeks of the shutdown, it seemed that our, our government was working together. Bipartisanship seemed to be growing, and it was impressive. There were still ideological differences, and that's part of what makes our nation great. We don't always have to agree to be united. But sadly, it wasn't long before Democrats and Republicans were fighting again. Both sides resumed blaming the other for anything and everything. And on one level, we really shouldn't be surprised. After all, it's a presidential election year. Passion runs very high every four years. And the current situation with George Floyd is no different. Old wounds have been reopened. People are choosing sides. And that's actually incredibly disappointing. Because fingers of blame are being pointed. And we get caught up in the name blame, the name blame game as well. It's easy to point out what someone else is doing wrong. Instead of assessing blame, we should get off the side, sidelines. See, Monday morning quarterbacking is easy. Getting in the game on Sunday is a whole different thing. Involvement, working together, encourages unity. Maybe you're like me. At times I just want to scream, you know, can't we work together? Can't we find some common ground? There is always hope. And I actually witnessed a glimmer of hope on the news last week. A woman was being interviewed concerning the protests. And she said, we need to show unity. This is not just a black thing. This is not just a a white thing. We have to work together. Unity, working together, is not a new idea. During our call to worship, we read from Acts chapter 2. The early church demonstrated unity. They worked together for the cause of Christ. Jesus said this about unity in his high priestly prayer in John 17.23. Jesus said, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul echoed the theme of unity. His words from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, will be our focus for this morning. If you've got your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, please open it to Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 1 through 6. Paul wrote this, he said, I therefore, a prisoner of the a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's words speak to the church's unity in Christ. Now, before we get to our passage, I want to point out that the first three chapters of the letter to the church at Ephesus, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, lay out several indicatives of God. Indicatives are what is true of God, what is true about his being. They remind us what God has done for us, what he's doing for us, and what he will continue to do for us. In Ephesians 1-3, through 3, Paul wrote of predestination and election, adoption and redemption, the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual rebirth. James Montgomery Boyce stated that these first three chapters presented the work of God in joining people from all nations and walks of life together in the one holy body of Christ, the church. Do you see how Paul's Holy Spirit-empowered words are still active and alive today? In the first words of Ephesians 4, Paul presents several imperatives. Imperatives are what we are to do in response to who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. The imperatives in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 show us how to maintain unity in the body of Christ. And the unity is maintained by walking, by living in a a manner worthy of the calling to which you and I have been called. We live for Christ. Paul then provides us a picture of what that means. He begins with humility. Paul said we have been called with all humility. Earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus saved us. We didn't save ourselves. And that very fact should keep us humble. Heaven is our home because of Jesus. God is with us today because he chooses to be with us. We're no better than anyone else. We're of no more value to God than any other human being. Philippians 2.3 reminds us of this truth. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Loretta a story a while back that illustrates how humility works. There was a Chinese Christian who owned a rice field on a hill. And during the growing season, this man brought water up to his rice by using a hand-powered water wheel. 
It lifted water from an irrigation stream at the bottom of the hill to his fields. His neighbor had two fields below his field. And one night the neighbor made a, a hole in the wall that divided the two men's fields. He drained the water that had been pumped up the hill to fill his own fields with water. The next day the Christian man was furious. And so he repumped the water back up to his fields, only to have his neighbor again make a hole draining the water back down the hill. So the Christian rice farmer asked a fellow Christian friend what he should do. He said, I've tried to be patient and not retaliate. Isn't it right for me to confront my neighbor? His friend prayed and came back the next day with an answer. He said, if we only try to do the right thing, we're surely very poor Christians. He continued, we have to do something more than what is simply right. The rice farmer was impressed. The next day he went out and first pumped water into his neighbor's two fields. Then he filled his own field. And he did this for some time. The neighbor never drained the Christian farmer's field again. And one day that neighbor asked the Christian why he was being so nice. The Christian farmer shared his faith. And the neighbor became a Christian. That is humility in action. Humility is putting the needs of the others above our own. God uses humility to draw people to his son. The second how of how we maintain unity is gentleness. Gentleness or meekness, as some translations put it, is not weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. Jesus was gentle. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus said of himself, I am, I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus was and is not weak. He is the all-powerful king. I've shared with some of you in the past um, what I believe is an impressive picture of gentleness. In this picture, there was a, a huge muscular man, and it didn't show the man's face. All you saw were his massive arms, and in those arms, he held a baby. This man could have crushed that baby, but in gentleness, he carefully held the precious gift from God. Our strength comes from God, and such strength is shown in gentleness. Paul also said that we're to be patient. And another way to say patient is long-suffering. And man, patience can be tough, can't it? We tend to be a very impatient people. And I think technology has made us even more impatient because we expect results quickly. We can be impatient with other people. We can be impatient with technology. We can even be impatient with God. God doesn't often act as quickly as we would like him to. But we must remember God's patience with us. 2 Peter 3.9 reads, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is so incredibly patient with us. We deserve his wrath. 
we let God down. We say we love God, and then we disobey His commands. We say we love our neighbor, and then spew hatred towards them. To maintain unity, unity in the community, and unity in the church, we are to show patience. We are patient as we bear with one another in love. In our rice field story, the Christian farmer had every right to confront his neighbor. But he didn't. Instead, he was humble. He was patient. He bore the burden of the other farmer's offenses. And in the end, his bearing in love was used by God to bring salvation to his neighbor. Now, there are times when we need to stand for our rights. But other times, we bear patiently in love. And doing so can soften hearts. James 1.9 states, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Paul wrote that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The words, unity of the Spirit, indicate that we possess a unity that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit calls all Christians to unity. We are one church. And we are to maintain that unity through humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. What if, what if we, the the church, were completely united together? What if our families and neighbors and the community saw our unity in Christ? What would happen? Well, I can tell you what happens when we're united to Christ. If you were in our church service this morning, you would have heard it during our call to worship. It came from Acts chapter 2. Let me share it with you again. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad hearts and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. God used those first Christians to change the world. Our unity in Christ, our love for Jesus, and our love for each other is contagious. And not everyone will get it. But many will. And Jesus will change their lives today and for eternity. And the best news is that unity is already ours. In the last verses of our passage, Paul points to the reality of our present unity in Christ. He wrote this, he said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's an awful lot in those three verses. I'm just going to very briefly break it down. First, there is one body. That body is the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul wrote of the church. He said, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Paul then pointed out that each person in the body of Christ has different roles, different gifts. None are better than the other. All are necessary. We may look different. We may come from different backgrounds. We may think differently. And of course, we've got different abilities. But we're all called to work together. We're one in Christ. And there's one Spirit. We are one because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit did the work of regeneration. And that means that He turned us. He worked in our hearts to turn us towards Christ. The Spirit gives us wisdom and strength. The Spirit unites us. If you've trusted your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the same Spirit lives in all Christians. We're called to one hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He has opened the doors of heaven to us. Jesus will come back. Days like we're experiencing today, we long even more for the return of Jesus. There's one Lord. His name is Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are many different religions. We respect the beliefs of others. But we know that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. Jesus is the only way. And that means that there is one faith. Faith in Christ is the only faith that matters. God sent his son to save us from our sins. To receive salvation, we must trust Jesus. And there's one baptism. Baptism is an area where Christians disagree. We can disagree on when and how to do baptism. We cannot disagree on the fact that we are to be baptized into Jesus Christ. And all that's true. All that's true because there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. May God receive the glory that he is due. You know, months ago, we planned a a picnic for last weekend. There was to be a worship service on Sunday morning outside underneath a tent. It was to be a weekend to celebrate our unity in Christ. Well, the picnic and the tent service didn't happen. But it's interesting that we chose unity as a theme long before the coronavirus pandemic hit. Unity was our theme months before the tragedy of George Floyd and all the unrest that we now are experiencing. The the call to unity in Christ is never more important than today. As I was preparing this message, my mind 
went back to the last mission trip, the last mission team we sent to Mission Misawa in Mexico. It was way back in 2014, six years ago. It was a great trip. And the reason I mention the trip is because of a worship service we attended. And here's what I said six years ago about that service. Probably our most touching time of worship happened last Sunday during the service at the church in Magdalena. It wasn't a big church. It may have been a church that held maybe 100 or 150 people. And the morning we visited, they had technical problems with their projector, just like we sometimes do. What stood out in this church, though, was their passion for Jesus Christ. The music was lively. There was clapping and loud singing, and Rick Grodson noticed that the men sang at the top of their lungs, and he offered a challenge to Bethesda men. We arrived to church late that morning, and still they interrupted their worship to greet us. For some reason, they knew that we were visitors. Maybe it was the fact that amongst our group there were fair-skinned blondes and one redhead. It was an amazing greeting. Everyone shook our hand from little children to older men and women. The women hugged and kissed every single one of us, even some of our non-hugging team members. The church service lasted over an hour and a half. The message was straight from Scripture. Throughout the service, they kept telling us over and over again that we were one with them in Christ. One with them in Christ. We came from different places and cultures. Our style of worship was different. And our appearance was different. And yet in Christ, we were one. Let us show the world our unity. May the love of Jesus display that unity. Let us work to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors. We are one in Christ.